Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with another episode of our Ecom show and today I'm here with Juan and he's one of the co-founders of uh, Unit One Gear. It's a startup company and they have a very interesting uh, story and concept and product as well. They have a flagship uh, product and we will discuss all of these topics. So hey Juan, how are you today? Doing well, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Amazing. So uh originally you are from argentina and if i know correctly you are in uh, madrid uh, europe and yeah. i'm just very interested what's your story so and also how did you come up with the idea of this company and of this idea sure yeah so originally from argentina um right now living in madrid where we have set up um hq for for union one uh, about a year ago So unit one um, originally started, uh, I originally started the company with two other co-founders, Francisco and Javier. Javier uh, coming from a design background uh, like myself, I'm a product designer and Francisco coming in from a business background. The company originally started in a completely different space than the one we're at right now. We um, originally came from the winter sports space. Our first product was a ski and snowboard helmet with detachable headphones and walkie-talkie the works. We um, we had a very good first run, um, the first couple seasons. And then uh, when, when we were about to scale up, the pandemic came, secure zones around the world closed from one day to the next without uh, any guarantees as to, as to whether or not we're going to reopen. And we had a single product, seasonal product, So it was uh, it was do or die time, and we immediately pivoted the company. It was just it was too just too risky to continue down that path without knowing we were going to be able to service ski resorts, or people were going to be skiing or not during, during the next couple of years. And at the stage we were in, we couldn't afford to wait it out. So we we put whatever cash we had left to work into a new product in a new space mobility and we developed Faro, our the our first product into in the space. Faro is an urban commuter helmet, smart helmet with integrated lights. Um, it's meant to make the rider visible and um, communicate, allow them to communicate with drivers and those around, and just essentially make urban mobility an overall safer experience. We, we we got started with that and it just blew up in in our faces in a good way it, it, it went really really well I think we sell, I think we sold more more urban helmets in two weeks than uh, than we did snow helmets in two seasons so it was a very strong uh, signal from the the market that we were being very well received and we at that point just basically went all in to urban mobility started um, well developed, built, launched this product. Uh, it, it did pretty well. And then we started expanding the portfolio quite aggressively. And that's pretty much where we are today. Um, very excited. The, the space is moving rapidly. The, the We're now moving into our second production batch after selling out the first one. We have 10,000 riders right now throughout the world riding with, with our helmet. And there's more helmets coming, uh, new products, accessories, the whole the whole works of smart accessories for urban mobility. That's what we're 
what we're doing here at Unit One, and it's a lot of fun. Amazing. So more about the details. So what do you think? Why was this product so successful from almost the beginning? So when we looked at the again, we were coming from it from somewhere else, different space. So when we looked from the outside looking in, we took a peek at urban mobility and found uh, found out two two main things that Faro came in to solve. Number one, believe it or not, helmets style or lack thereof is an actual barrier for helmet adoption. People don't wear helmets because they don't like how they look on them. They don't like the product itself. It's a for the most part, it's a cheap plastic bucket that makes you look like a dork. So you don't you don't really feel well or you know using them. Um, even though they they could save your life. So it's a completely stupid point if you ask me. But this is this happens. So style we found out was an actual barrier of entry. The second thing we found out, which is also not a surprise, is people are afraid of sharing the road with drivers. They're they're afraid of getting run over, um, someone crashing into them. It's scary to, to you know share the road with drivers, especially when there's not when you don't live in Amsterdam or Copenhagen when when you have amazing cycling infrastructure. So the rest of, of us mortals. We go through the you know, the daily hassle of actually sharing the road with buses and cars just you know zooming yeah. in beside you. And when you add the layer of darkness, lack of visibility is chief. It's one of the chief reasons amongst um, fatal bike accidents. The whole "I didn't see you" routine is actually super dangerous and is to us it was the main issue to tackle so what we figured out basically was hey if we can make a helmet that is stylish and beautiful and something that people actually are going to want to wear and then we can also add an extra layer of safety on top of you know head protection because every helmet protects your head right uh to some point we had we wanted more so we we added uh, the layer of visibility to make the riders visible then we added a layer of communication to make the riders predictable via turn signals, brake light. Um, actually, yeah. So, can you tell us more about that this communication part because maybe it's not yeah. clear for some people. Sorry. Um, yes. So this is let me let me. Okay. So this is our helmet. Uh, it's got um, integrated lights both at the front and at the rear, and it's it has a this whole panel worth of um this this sits behind fabric so you don't actually see it when it's off and the helmet remains clean but there's 40 something leds here this is fully customizable uh programmable and overall very intense now when you add in our remote this goes on this goes on the handlebar and it can power up turn signals and brake light on the helmet Essentially, we're, we're borrowing two moves from the car and driver playbook. This is what they're mm -hmm. accustomed to. This is who we are sharing the road with. So it just makes sense to speak their language. So with Faro, what we did is we we added layer of visibility, a layer of communication, and then we went we went one step further um, with the whole active safety approach, um, and we added crash detection. Meaning, if you crash hard and become unresponsive, the helmet can detect that. 
and we'll send out an the app will send out an emergency um, text message to your emergency contact with your location. Um, so we have this whole what active safety means essentially is we have crash prevention to make sure to help prevent those crashes in the first place. We of course have impact protection, crash protection, because it's still a helmet, it needs to protect your head. It has the MIPS system, an ABS shell, it's fully certified, checks all those boxes. And then it has this crash detection feature, which is after a crash. So we have the before, the during and the after. And in that way, Faro is one of the one of the safest, if not the safest helmet out there. And yeah. to answer your question, I think that is that combination is what makes it um, is making it successful. It's it's a beautiful product, something you want to, to 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 wear. I can wear you can wear this with a suit, and it would not stand out. It, it's it's that beautiful. And then again, when the when the sun is down and you add this whole new layer of tech and safety, it just it does wonders for your visibility and doesn't get any safer than that. So the combination of both the, the style element and the tech and safety element, I think is what makes this um, helmet unique. And I think the main reason why it was so well welcomed by the by the space. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I really like the lights, by the way. I if I Thank you. If I uh, went to a party, actually, I'm going to a birthday party tonight. Maybe I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't take it off in the party after well, I. Yeah, it has, um, it, it has a couple funky modes as well because the because mm -hmm. the LEDs are RGB and they're highly customizable. So there's a lot you can do with it. You, there's a lot to be to be done. You can play with the settings quite a bit, and you can get creative. Mm -hmm. And it's actually fun to to see what people what people do with their helmets, like because there are so many settings, and it's just fun to see what people come come up with. Yeah, quite cool. Maybe do you have because now you have uh, quite many customers. Um, have you got any information about someone who who crashed? Something happened? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We have um we have a couple dozen emails. Uh, every every. Every month or so, uh, one of them writes to us, writes back. Mm. It's 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 a pretty uh, it's a pretty intense experience. We, yeah. I mean, we, the first couple ones were like super shocking. You you you, you get this email saying that um, thank you guys, you saved my life uh, last night. I was riding my scooter around in New York City, and someone opened door behind, uh, a door in front of me. I went into the pavement head first, blacked oh. out completely. And then the rest of the story, it's the wife or the girlfriend saying, I got the text. I was, you know, super worried, raced there only to find my, my husband or my boyfriend lying, lying on the pavement. It's pretty scary stuff. But at the end of the day, it's, I mean, it gives you goosebumps, the good kind, I guess, because it's a feature that is doing what it's supposed to do. It's, you know, yeah. saving people's lives or, or at least at the very least getting attention to them faster. Um, we, we had a couple instances where the rider was hit in a remote location mm -hmm. and there was, there was no people around, no one to actually, I don't know, call 911 for them or, or assist them directly. And it was the wife or the emergency contact that showed up and that the whole 
911 routine and so it's yeah it's it's a very it's a very strong um thing when when you put this stuff out there and then it comes back this way uh with people that are super grateful uh we get messages from like photos from him with with a guy and the family just it's just so powerful and it we're, makes us proud to to be working something like this yeah 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 i'm sure um yeah that's great so let's talk about uh kickstarter so are you still on kickstarter or you completed already this project um um yeah so yeah faro faro was done uh, about a year ago we um we do this almost every year all of our products uh we launch via kickstarter it's it's a pretty remarkable tool for for validate to validate the product before it's out uh, the kickstarter community is very refined these are people that are very uh well versed in tech and yeah. um and iot devices and wearables and this kind of stuff uh, and they're very vocal as well they're, they're a very refined type of consumer so number one they provide amazing feedback throughout the process number two um they're they can be very uh it can be the harshest critics you'll ever have mm -hmm. but if the product goes through the the test and comes out of the other side um successfully then it's a product that's going to do well in the market uh it's it's the ultimate you know litmus test um so we yeah. we do it for that um and it's also a good way to launch products very closely with your community it, it kind of creates a bond because they, they follow you throughout the process um whatever happens rain or rain or shine they they get to you know hop along for for the whole for the whole way and it's sometimes you know quite traumatic i mean stuff happens uh covid logistics blowing up uh you run into issues no no product ever has a perfect process and these guys kind of tag along for the way and they build this relationship with the product that they help create and with the the brand that they're you know backing and at the end of the line when you give them that product you've won i mean if you didn't fuck up along the way and you you, you deliver a decent product you gain a, a a very loyal customer maybe maybe for life so we we love doing this and i think we'll continue to do this to to launch our products via crowdfunding this only happens once right at, at the beginning uh launch yeah. launch stage once it's launched into the market then um we are it's a different ball game but the inception of the product into the market yes we do would you like kickstarter yeah i i think it's a great place for uh, those early adopters who can uh, buy your product for the first time do you yeah, yeah. what would what would you say what's the primary purpose of being on this platform getting the first customers or validation and getting critique maybe funding money so we use it as a validation tool mainly um huh. it depending on the stage of of development the product is in uh we may or may not use the funds for tooling and stuff like that which is uh, which is a great thing uh because the cash cycles of hardware are pretty ruthless especially in the beginning yeah but the main purpose of us being in kickstarter uh these days uh maybe not 
So in the beginning, but nowadays we're mainly in it for uh, for, valid, for validation. It's it's a sales platform. It just happens very very early in the product's lifetime, but it's still a sales platform. It's heavily discounted. Yes, it happens before the product the product is out. Yes, but also caters to a very very special and to us valuable kind of consumer, which is the the classic you know Kickstarter backer. Um, in, in our case, it's very aligned, very aligned with our brand, very aligned with the products that we launch, and be, because of those reasons, it's very useful to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so, besides Kickstarter, what channels do you use and have you used to acquire customers? So, very, very early on, our whole kind of say product launch cycle um starts with we have this closed beta beta tests that we it's like a pre-kickstarter if you will very very small in scale like 20 30 people mm -hmm. same principle just earlier in development so we, when a lot of decisions are being made you can still tweak some even core decisions there we start um with beta tests then we move into um a pre-launch a pre-launch website uh, where we use uh, where we use that for for price validation, and we very early on start with um, lead capture via via so email capture via this 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 landing. Um, we kind of amass anywhere between three to six to hopefully sometimes ten thousand leads before Kickstarter launch. Then we go into Kickstarter, and that is a kind of D2C-ish in a lot of ways. You still have paid media coming in, you still have uh, PR, you still have uh, emails uh, converting into that page. So it's very D2C-ish in a lot of ways, except for the fact that you have to wait months and months for, for that product to, to, to get to your home, right? And it's heavily discounted. And since it's Kickstarter and it's not Shopify, it may or may not be um, it may or may not become a reality, which of course with us, it's not the case. We're returning campaigners and we know, we know what, what we're doing, but that's not the norm for most of Kickstarter. So we're yeah. very, we're very heavily reliant on email at the very beginning with, with, uh, the Kickstarter page. And then when we launch our products, we kind of do it again. We re we reopen the email, uh, the, the, the lead gen stage ahead of the launch. So we, it'll be the kind of email that welcomes you into the, into the team to, to kind of be notified when we launch. And then we have a very, very successful education process through email. So we kind of deeply educate the consumer ahead of launch, um, ahead of the moment of conversion so that when the time comes, there's really anything else for them to, to understand or validate. They just mm -hmm. come in and, and buy because they went through all these hoops beforehand. So we're very, again, this is a 300 almost dollar helmet in a category that is not that well known, which is smart helmets, right? So this is not an impulse purchase by, by any means. Um, people need to think about it. People need to understand what it is they're buying. People need to understand what is behind the hefty price tag what's the tech in it what's how it's constructed how is it better than the others so this takes time and the email 
kind of fits the bill rather well because it gives us time to educate this consumer maybe in two, three, four, five, six even stages. And then at any given moment where this person is convinced, then we welcome in, in him or her into the D2C uh, platform. But only then, the, mm -hmm. the, the, edu the educational process, we usually do this way. So again, very reliant on email. Then yeah. uh, as far as uh, user capture, um, user acquisition channels, we are working a lot with YouTube reviewers lately. We have to, again, we're introducing a new product into the space, right? Um, we're a new brand in new space. So no one knows who the hell we are. Just, it's just the way it is. I happen to believe we have the best smart helmet in the market, but doesn't, that doesn't mean people know who the hell we are. So we need to correct that and we need to inject a little uh, confidence into the whole new brand, new product type situation. YouTube yeah. reviews are a great tool for that. If you find the right, the right person with uh, the, the right fit with the brand, which there are a lot out there, um, we, we just send them products, no script, no conditioning, conditioning on our part whatsoever. Um, we just completely trust in the, pro in the product, so much so that we have no negative reviews so far. And these reviews are, they're great because when you're buying a $300 helmet, that you haven't heard of from a brand you haven't heard of probably the first thing you're going to do is pop open youtube and see if there there are any reviews out there which because we've been working on this now we have a bunch we have a bunch of organic reviews we have a bunch of actually we don't have paid reviews at all we just send them the product and, and hope for the best mm -hmm. so that has been working pretty well lately and it's only been going on for the for the past couple couple of months, like four or five, the product is kind of new to the market. January, January, to, January of this year, we introduced Fire into, into the market. So yeah, still yeah. brand new. Do you know how much time it takes from the first moment someone uh, can see your, your brand or your product until the point they buy? Is there any data on that? It depends on the channel. I mean, if it's email, I can tell you it's roughly two, three emails. That's the average mm -hmm. uh, between the lead lead being captured and then the lead being converted. If it's paid media, it depends a lot on the time of the year. Like it can be, uh, it can be an, an awareness ad and then a couple consideration ads and then finally a conversion ad. That's four, which is very long. If you're if it's Black Friday, it's going to be much, much shorter because there's the, the yeah, urgency yeah. elements, the, the limited yeah. units, big discounts type situation. So it tends yeah. to build shorter, shorter timeframes. Um, so yeah, paid media is very, very time dependent. And email is about two or three emails average. Okay. 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 It makes sense. You educate them and then they buy. Correct. Yeah. I mean, they can be educated on the website as well, but email email kind of splits it into digestible little pieces yeah spread exactly across spread across a time frame of i don't know a week a couple of weeks tops and it just makes it easier to for the user to understand and you know go go at it his own pace and then no one's rushing you go through this stuff and if you like what you see here we are and it just works well
Yeah, I think you are in the price range where impulse buying is rare at this price no, range. No, it, no yeah. you, uh, for millionaires only, I mean, 300 bucks, it's a, it's a yeah, purchase yeah. you're going to think over long and hard. Um, we often even, we, like, we sell a lot on the weekends because we have a lot of people that maybe come across our ad or an email during the week. Mm -hmm. And it's not the kind of purchase you're going to, you know, just flow through yeah. uh, rather quickly. You say, okay, I, I like this. I'm going to sit down Saturday morning with a cup of coffee. I'm going to check this out. And then we see a lot of those conversions happen during the weekend. And we have reason to believe, we have data to believe that this is the, the mechanics that, that are at play here. You, you are acquainted with the product, almost convinced, I should say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then the actual purchase, you're probably going to open up the computer. It's, it's going to be a different, different moment in time because it's 300 bucks. You need to yeah. think this over. I guess most buyers, they buy on desktop, right? I can see this trend with high AOV items. They buy on desktop, low AOV is mobile because it's so easy and they don't think it's, much. it's not 50%. It's less, but we, what we see huh. is a lot of, we see a lot of visits. Mobile is about 80% uh, for visiting, mm. but for purchase, it goes down to 50 something. Yeah. So there's a lot of mobile users that switch to desktop for the time yeah. of purchase. Yeah. Um, same happens with with um, iPads and tablets and stuff. Uh, and then desktop mm -hmm. remains desktop, of course. Makes sense. And um, how do how, so? How have you set up your team? Do you work with only in-house people, or maybe you work with uh, consultants on certain things, especially marketing? What uh, have you found a better approach? Um, yeah, we've worked with a lot of agencies over the years and the overwhelming conclusion is that no agency, however good, however big or small will give you the focus that you can give yourself or the focus that at least as a company at our stage requires. Mm -hmm. So for the most part, we've been trying, and it's you know difficult because you have to build up your team, but we've been trying to get as many things done in-house as possible. This is gradual, doesn't happen overnight. We started with um, content creation. This was absorbed years ago into the company. Gives us the speed and the flexibility to create a lot of content fast. We're talking for ads, emails, website, um, social media, that kind of stuff. It gives you the independence and the speed you need to be able to keep up the pace um, and to follow marketing initiatives that maybe, I don't know, change overnight or there's something new that we want to try. It's, it pays off to be nimble. So creatives is something that we um, onboarded pretty early in the game. Then the second thing we, we did, um, well, Marketing and copywriting and all that obviously happens in-house. Uh, no one knows more about our product than us. No one knows how to sell our product better than us uh, or how to communicate at least. So that was always in-house. Then um, at one point we got fed up of email marketing agencies doing not doing a good enough job. And we had suspicions that we could do a better job ourselves. So we kind of ditched that agency and. Um, brought that in 
in-house. It was a process. It didn't happen, you know, it was an, an on-off switch. But yeah, yeah, yeah. very, very quickly, we started building up um, the, uh, the databases and understanding the different hyper-segmented lists and whatnot. And before we even know it, uh, before we even knew it, we were uh, 2Xing industry standards. Um, so that that's one of the things we, that's one of the success cases of, of onboarding a previously external process. I think we are, we have like a 40 something percent open rate um, and about 7% average um, click through rate, which is insane. And yeah, yeah. We, we, ha we have not seen any agencies put up that kind of numbers. So I have to attribute that to our amazing team. And that's ha that, that, that happens when you have a team of rock stars putting in the focus and the hours and the intensity that an agency will just never do. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the final thing that we have not yet uh, incorporated, but are in the process of doing so, well, it's the last, the last step of the funnel, right? It's paid media. Um, we handle influencers and reviewers, um, all that internally, social media, of course, as well. But paid media is the last step of the funnel that we want to get uh, done in-house. We work with, at the moment, we work with a couple agencies. One of them is Google-specific. The other one is Facebook slash Instagram specific. Uh, looking into TikTok right now um, probably warrants a third agency because it's these are very specific skill sets and the overlapping is not that strong. It's kind of a pain in the ass because you have to manage three different agencies and it's three ROAS, three spends, three a lot of work. You know, managing all that. But, right? Yeah. But for now, it's it's um, it's a necessary evil. Uh, very keen to to onboard some of this very soon into the company, and of course, the idea is to have the whole D two C funnel serviced from the inside. The amount of the agility and the speed that you can gain, the the transparency for data all across the board when you do it all yourself is just incomparable to to just having a having to take data from multiple different sources and then comparing it's a pain in the ass so we're very much looking forward to completing the funnel uh we have one final step to to go yeah yeah it makes sense okay i have one final question to you so what would you what would you tell to other e-commerce business owners who come up with their own products and it's a startup. It's not, you know, not a dropshipping store, not a brand where they just sell someone else's product, but they invest a lot of time and money into making new products and developing new products. And uh, they just don't know how to monetize it or how to grow that. I know there are many founders who are product focused or just yesterday I talked to an engineer, we had a beer and he's amazing with the product but uh he's, he's not really a sales guy he he needs to learn it so what would you tell to these kind of people well okay um yeah so i learned pretty quickly in, in into the game that a uh, great product is half the work and you need to be able to to sell it you need to understand how to sell it and for us i think the key was iteration it was just constantly trying out new things, new approaches, 
um, new, new, new messages, new copywriting, new assets, combining them, iterating them, building variants, and just following the numbers, following the data. Um, you need to be data obsessed um, to, to truly understand the, the inner mechanics of, uh, of e-commerce. And I'm not saying I, I understand them. I just, um, cause this is not, this is not my area, but I'm, I'm, I'm the product guy, but I just see everyone else. Uh, I'm very involved on the other side, but I'm, I'm, I'm mostly a product oriented person. But what I, what I did learn is that iteration and testing and data yeah. is usually the way to go. I mean, there's, there's, there's data for everything. If you, if you get the right data and you inform your decisions moving forward, you will find a way to scale. Um, if you're walking in the dark, uh, blindfolded, uh, you might hit it if you're, if you're lucky, but you need to have a, a programmed, logical, data-based approach to scaling up paid media or uh, improving um, email marketing numbers. Or I mean, it's just, you, you'd think it's a creative, a creative centric arena but it's a very numbers and data centric arena and the sooner you understand that the the better i think yeah i think those analytical people or you know engineer type of people that who are good at data they can uh, internalize this mindset and then i think it really helps them to to oversee marketing that it's a numbers game and you have to understand the KPIs and these people they are usually good at it and I think that's an advantage compared to more creative people let's say so yeah, yeah. but it's 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 you see a lot of and hey I, I was guilty of this in the early days you us product people I'm, I'm a bug designer so I, I come from that space um, and we Coming into the game, we incorrectly assume that if you build a good enough product, it's a build it and they will come type situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's bullshit. It doesn't work like that. And, and it, it took me took me a while to get it, but uh, again, a good product, even a great product, does not sell itself unless you're selling Zoom in the pandemic, um, that kind of stuff, which is yeah. very rare. Uh, you're going to have to push this product out there regardless of how good it is. So yeah, that's the, the other, the other half of the spectrum really hard to nail. Yeah. 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 Thanks a lot again, uh, Juan for sharing your story today and thanks everyone who, uh, listened to us, the, the live stream today, or we listen to the podcast in the next few weeks and months and, uh, also, I will put a link into the description and everyone can uh, go there. And uh, basically, that's our Clavio uh, uh, e-commerce email marketing mini course and everyone can uh, get it for free. Also, we'll share the links of uh, Juan's company so everyone can check this out, their products. And uh, thanks again, everyone, and stay tuned. Okay, bye, bye Daniel.